Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing this morning? That is right. You know what? It's a great day. We've been going through these different weeks and it's crazy and it's crazy and it's crazy and it's crazy. And every time we come together on the Lord's Day, guess what I realize all over again? That God is still on his throne, that Jesus is still the savior of the world, that his blood is enough to cover our sins. And it's going to be all right because he's in charge. I'm just so thankful for that, thankful for that knowledge. And I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord, studying the word of the Lord in the presence of the Lord. How about you? I am. I am. I'm a glad, I am so glad for that. And I want to welcome all of our campuses. You're joining all over this region. So thankful for each and every one of you. Those of you that are online, we're thankful for you as well. And I pray God does a great work in you through his word uh, today. I want to be completely transparent with you right now. I'm a person who tends toward doing the least. I would rather get something on sale than pay full price. Anybody else like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I would rather find it used on eBay in good condition than buy it new. Yeah. I would rather figure out how to get the tax shelter than just pay the tax because I'm just generous to the government. I would rather get 40 miles to the gallon than 20 miles to the gallon. I would rather buy a generic drug than buy the name brand. How many of you are going, I just need the name brand drug? No, not really. But there are some things in life that you just can't be that cheap on. They just got to have the real thing. Some things in life that you can't compromise with. Here's one of them, Pop-Tarts. <laughs> you just can't compromise on Pop-Tarts. I remember my mother, sometimes, you know, just out of a desire for savings, would bring these abominations into our house when I was a kid called Toastums. And I went, I thought you were getting Pop-Tarts. She goes, I got Pop-Tarts. I go, these aren't Pop-Tarts, they're Toastums. They're not the same. They're not even close to the same, right? Sometimes you need the real thing, like the NFL. The NFL is the real thing. Not the, those of you that are older, the WFL or the USFL. Remember that? Ooh. Or the CFL or the IFL. <coughs> no, it's the NFL, right? Look, I want the best hospital, not the cheapest. I want the best doctor, not the one who is not being sued for malpractice. I want the trusted mechanic right? Not the one who has everything that's broken that never got fixed in the front yard. I want the best tax preparer. I want the best investment broker because I don't want to lose all that retirement that I worked so hard for, right? Where does your faith fit into that equation in your life? <laughs> really? Like, do you have like the generic drug faith or do you have the Pop-Tart faith? Well, like you gotta, you gotta have the real thing, right? I've seen in so many people's lives where it is the minimum for most of their lives. And then there comes a big crisis or they're facing eternity. And then all of a sudden it goes from the minimum to the maximum. Has anybody ever seen that before? 
where people are like total minimalists when it comes to faith. And then all of a sudden, I got to have all the bells and whistles. I mean, if you judged them previous, like, like church attendance or knowledge of God's word or prayer time or giving or serving or leading, it was all minimums. But then in that one moment, the expectation on God completely changes and they want all maximums. Like maybe it's like a really bad circumstance in life. And they're, they find themselves in this circumstance like, God, I need you like 100% right now. And I need that right, you know. Maybe it's a restoration of marriage. I mean, they've invested maybe 30 years in just ruining that marriage. And then when they realize, oh, all of a sudden it's coming apart. I need you, God, to just change that spouse's mind right now. Maybe it's the healing in your body. You name it. And then those minimalists that become instant maximalists will say, if I don't get this, God, then my faith really isn't real. You're not real, God. Just because I might do the minimum in the area of faith does not mean, however, that I would do the minimum in other places in my life. We might be the people that push the envelope in the other places of life, like when it comes to our career, our retirement portfolio, our appearance, our popularity. We might really invest on the maximums into that, right? And by the way, all four of those things, career, retirement, appearance, popularity, those are all matters of faith. You realize that? They are all matters of faith. They're just matters of faith in yourself rather than faith in God. And you know what we've learned to call that in the last couple of weeks is the land of B, the land of B. So like here we are at A, and then we plan this trajectory that's supposed to get us to what our desired outcome is. So we're A, and it's like, here's what I see, and this will get me to the land of B, the land of my expectations, right? And what we do then in life is we try to manufacture things in such a way that will give us what we want or what we expect in the land of B. So we manufacture, but sometimes we manufacture or try to manufacture things that really can only be created, not manufactured. Today, I want you along with me to take a step of faith that will take us beyond the minimum in the area of faith. You've been hearing Clayton talk about the land of C. And the land of sea is this place that God takes us to sometimes that is way beyond the expectation. It goes way beyond the transaction. And I want to make something very clear, that the land of sea is never on the other side of the minimum. It is never on the other side of the minimum. But before we get into that, biblically speaking, the question to me is, oh, why do we do that then? Why don't we just invest the maximum? Why do we go to the minimum when it comes to faith? Maybe it's because we want to take our money, we want to take our time, we want to take our ability, and we want to invest that in more directions, in more ways. Because maybe that gives us more of an opportunity to get the results that we desire, those land of B results, you know? And what is that result, really? I mean, if you were to qualify it in your life, what would it be? It would be maybe a feeling of happiness. Maybe it would be a feeling of joy or peace or fulfillment. Maybe you want to take those investments and spread them out as far as possible to give us the biggest opportunity for the result we want. Kind of like an investment 
portfolio. Like I'll invest in a couple of risky stocks, but I want to be into some really solid ones that have low returns. So in case I lose on this other side, I'll be able to have some on this more conservative side. So what I want to do today is I want to get into God's word and I want to compare two stories about two people that interacted with Jesus and I want us to see what the minimum actually looks like, and I want us to see what the land of sea looks like when we contrast both of them. We find them very close together in the book of Luke. As a matter of fact, one is at the end of Luke 18, and the other story is at the beginning of Luke 19. There's just one little tiny story sandwiched in between them. And I don't think that's by accident. I think Luke wanted to read those, have us read those stories in close proximity to one another because they really help us to understand the other. The first story is in Luke 18, and it's the story of the rich young ruler. Now, think about that. Who wouldn't want that title? Rich young ruler. You got the money, you've got your youth, and you're in charge. What could be better than that? Well, let's learn a little bit about him. It says in, in verse 18, a certain ruler asked him, Jesus, good teacher, what, uh, what must I do to inherit? Everybody say that word with me, ready? Inherit, say it again, inherit. We're gonna come back to that. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All of these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Interesting, isn't it, that the sadness and the money were both described with the word very. Very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. Those who heard this asked, well, then who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Wow, what a story. Matthew records in this story, because this story is actually in three of the Gospels, he records that the man, the rich young ruler, actually qualified his question with Jesus in his interaction with Jesus saying, which ones? having to do with the commandments. Like, which ones do I need to concentrate on? Which to me is sounding like the rich young ruler is trying to figure out the minimum. Which ones do I really need to work on? 
In the Gospel of Mark, it says that he ran up to Jesus and knelt, like he fell down in front of Jesus, like worshiped Jesus. And you know what? I read that in Mark. It helps me to understand that this was sincere. I mean, the rich young ruler wasn't just, he just, he just wasn't like talking. He really wanted more. He really wanted to inherit eternal life, and he wanted to know how to do that. It also shows us in the book of Mark that Jesus really loved this guy. It says that he he looked on him and loved him, or actually it means he showed love for him. I, I can picture Jesus like reaching down to the guy who's, you know, kneeling and maybe grabbing him by his shoulders and kind of helping him up and looking at him in the eye. And the love of Jesus just piercing into that guy's soul. What I want us to do is I want us to ask four questions. Take this story apart and ask by asking these four questions. And I want you to take the same four questions and lay them over your life, all right? So with the rich young ruler, the first question is, what did he desire? I think this guy was sure about everything else in his life except eternal life. I think he was doing everything he was supposed to be doing. He had everything he could ever want to have. And he was sure about all of it except eternal life. That one was still up for grabs and he wanted that. And I think that was his greatest desire to have that one locked down, to have it nailed down in his life. And I find that really interesting because all of the things the rich young ruler was sure about, he really shouldn't have been sure about. I mean, he was sure about his position, about his youth, about his wealth. He was sure about it, but he really shouldn't have been. And neither should you or me. (laughs) How many of you could describe your life in March of 2020 as being sure of a lot of things? And then all of a sudden, all the things you were sure about, because it's blowing up all around us, right? It's driving us crazy. It's making us go nuts because we were sure about so many things that we really shouldn't have been sure of, right? We think we're sure of things that we really shouldn't be sure of. That was what he desired. What did he fear? That's the second question. What did he fear? I mean, he's rich, he's young, he's in power. What did he fear? I think he feared the challenge of laying something down that he never earned. Don't you think it's interesting that when the rich young ruler asks Jesus about eternal life, he uses the word inherit? What can I do to inherit eternal life? But when you go back and you... Here is title, rich, young, ruler. How do you think he got it? How in the world do you think that he could be so wealthy when he's so young? How do you think he could be so much in power when he's so young? I bet you he inherited it. As a matter of fact, the the transactions in his life up to this point were probably all based on inheritance. He was born into this. A feeling of deserving it because... It was given to him from someone else, somebody else who had earned it, but then given it to him in that, such a way. What if, though, you were confronted that all that you have really isn't yours to begin with, that you really didn't earn it, you really don't deserve it, 
but it was just gracefully given to you. Maybe Jesus is teaching that lesson, lesson, and he does it with an object lesson like this. Would you trade it? Would you trade what you never earned, that you don't deserve, and was gracefully given to you? Would you trade that for something greater, like eternal life? Or would you consider what you already have as greater? That decision, that one decision that Jesus led the rich young ruler to was a realization that you can't have both. And you know what? That forces a choice, doesn't it? If I can't have them both, then I'm going to have to choose. Uh, my daughter Jessie's here from Nashville. I'm going to have Jessie come up. Everybody say hi to Jessie. Yeah, thanks. And I want to illustrate what I mean here by the choice, okay? And Jesse's going to help me, all right? So uh, I went to the bank this week, and I asked, uh, I went to the drive-up window. It wasn't the window. It was a drive-up uh, tube and whatever that thing is. And I asked for $30 of dimes. And they go, oh, we can't put that through the machine. You'll have to come in. So I actually went into the bank this week, and I got six uh, rolls of dimes that are now in this clear cup. It's, it's quite uh, hefty, you know, but it really only fills that much up. That's $30 of dimes. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, Jesse. I'm going to ask you to hold out both hands, and I want you to make the, the palms of your hands as uh, able to hold as many dimes as possible, okay? That's what I want you to do. And then I'm going to pour these dimes into your hands. Okay, because I want to give them to you. So I figure, you know, if there's 30 bucks here, 15 bucks, you know, that's like two nice meals. You know, one nice meal if it's like a really nice meal. All right, here we go. Ready? How you doing? I'm good. Are you feeling blessed? So blessed. <laughs> Careful. Oh, what is it? That's it? Okay, okay, let's go over here. Oh, yeah. Where'd you get those long fingers? Wait, I still got a few more. You only lost a few, but you know what that is. She's blessed. She's so blessed. She's so, hear it? You can hear the blessing. I mean, it's because, you know, because you can't hold it all. And that's the way we are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're just blessed. Blessed, 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 right? And isn't that great? Isn't that great? She didn't earn it. She didn't deserve it, you know? But she's blessed with it. But you know what? I was at the bank, Jesse. Well, I was at the bank. I got two $100 bills, which are going promptly back into the bank a little bit later. Because <laughs> I'm cheap like that. But Jesse, I want to bless you. Like really good. Yeah. So I'm holding these out. And I'd like for you to have them but you have to take them from my hand. Yeah. Okay. That's my point. Would you? <laughs> no, you, you don't get to keep any of that. I'm, that's all going back to the bank. Thank you, Jesse. All right. This is the point. This is the point. The point is God may want to bless us with more. But it's impossible for us to be able to receive that more from God because our hands are already full of all of everything else. And are we willing to release that in order to have 
what God wants to give us. Because you see, that was at the very root of the rich young ruler's problem. He just wanted more. He just wanted more. And the problem is he feared what he believed he already had. He feared losing that. And so what was his response? Well, his response was this, sorrow, tears, walking away. Mark records about this story that he was deeply dismayed. What does that look like when a person is deeply dismayed? It's like, what just happened? Why? It again, it shows that he had a desire. It was genuine. His desire that he was asking Jesus was genuine. He just was involved in a trade he wasn't willing to make. And then Jesus uses this illustration of the camel and the eye of the needle to illustrate just how hard it is to lay down those things which we value so greatly. But the truth is you can't manufacture true joy or peace or fulfillment. Those things are not manufactured. You see, everything from A to B in this continuum is manufactured. But if you want to go to the land of C, it has to be something else. It has to be created in us by God. We cannot manufacture what only God can create. You hear me? And that's what the rich young ruler teaches us. What was the result? What was the result of all of this? This man was a Jewish man living in the time of Jesus under Roman occupation, right? Now to know our, a little bit of our history, ancient history, we know that the Romans actually destroyed the nation of Israel in 70 AD, completely leveled Jerusalem to the ground. And we know this guy was young, right? So we probably lived to see that. Now stay with me here. He probably lived to see the destruction of his rule. He probably lived to see the loss of all of his wealth. He probably lived to see the legacy to his children, his inheritance go completely away from him under Roman authority. He lost everything. And I wonder if in those moments of his life, he thought back to the day when he was kneeling before Jesus and he asked the question, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And what would have been different if he would have dropped that other stuff and taken from the hand of Jesus what only Jesus could give him? Now let's contrast that story to the one that's just on the other page in the book of Luke, the story of a man named Zacchaeus. He's in Luke 19, 1 through 10. And this is what the word says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him. Everybody say this word. Gladly. Say it again. Gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, 
I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Can you hear husbands and wives going, did he cheat us, did he cheat us out of thing? Because this is a windfall for us. Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, only Luke records the story of Zacchaeus. And I really think that's odd because Matthew was a tax collector. Wouldn't you think he'd want to tell that story? I don't know the answer to that question. But let's take Zacchaeus through the same filter that we took the rich young ruler, okay? Let's take him through that same filter as the rich young ruler. What did he desire? Now there was plenty that Zacchaeus wanted that he didn't have, right? That's obvious. He was short. He probably would have liked to have been a foot or two taller. But his wealth had become a way of compensating for the things that he lacked, but he, this much deeper need that he had, but it, it cost him the hatred of people. People hated him for this. The good thing is that he had realized this. He had realized that his wealth had never really filled his need, the need in his heart. And I think the rich young ruler knew that as well. He just didn't want to admit it. His desire was no more or less genuine I think Zacchaeus just had a better handle on it. And I'll tell you why. I think wealth gave the rich young ruler this delusion of happiness. And it gave him that delusion because it also came with popularity. And Zacchaeus didn't have that popularity. So I think Zacchaeus knew better. And this is what, this is what happened. While the rich young ruler wanted more, Zacchaeus wanted change. And there's a big difference between more and change. I think that's what he desired. Change. What did he fear? What did Zacchaeus fear? I think he feared that this is, is this all there is? You know, when you, when you've been sticking it to the man your whole life, and then you finally realize you are the man, then what happens? Then what do you do? If you're at the dog, at the dog track, chasing Rusty the rabbit around, and then, you know, the machine breaks and you catch him. What do you do with him? I think all the dogs just kind of would be standing around going, now what? Been chasing this thing my whole life. There's nothing more than this. He'd earned a lot of money and it cost him dearly. But what if you saw a chance to just change, to wholesale change? You see, in Zacchaeus' life, you couldn't manufacture that. It would take a miracle. It would take a work of creation. He was afraid of a future that was only more of the same. And all the emptiness that goes with that. So how did he overcome it? He overcame that with courage. Courage, yeah, courage. What kind of courage? Well, courage to climb a sycamore fig tree. Not because he was afraid of falling, but he was afraid of how he would look. Because if you have to climb a sycamore fig tree in order to see Jesus, you're admitting that you're short. People are going to see you up there. Jesus did. You're going to look foolish, and you're going to humiliate yourself. 
But this guy wanted change. And so he risked all that, right? He also had the courage to accept the invitation. When Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today, he accepted that invitation. Now, I think that took a great deal of courage because, you know, maybe he hadn't cleaned up the house. Maybe he had underwear on the, uh, on the floor. Maybe he hadn't cleaned up from last night's dinner. Maybe it kind of smelled bad in there. You know, he hadn't cleaned it up for guests. And he's inviting this guy in. I think that took some courage. But he had courage. He had courage to go to the maximum. And that was his response. The, the response wasn't the minimum. The response was the maximum. And it was immediate. It was immediate. It began the moment that Jesus gave the invitation. He was filled with joy. He was filled with gladness just that Jesus would say that to him. He isn't climbing down the tree and walking away, deeply dismayed like the rich young ruler. He's walking away, but he's walking toward his house and he's walking next to Jesus and Jesus is walking with him. How awesome is that? Can you imagine this? Jesus walks into his house. He walks into the house of a criminal. He walks into a house that was paid for and built by the money he swindled people out of. The things that decorated his walls and the furniture on the floor were things that he'd purchased out of the hardship of others. And Jesus has seen it all. Oh, wow, this is getting personal, isn't it? Because when you invite Jesus into your house, guess what? He sees everything you left on the floor. He smells last night's dinner in his nose. He sees that the stuff that you have, you hear what I'm saying, right? And he's not looking at that. Jesus isn't looking at that. He knows that. He knew that about Zacchaeus. He knows it about you. I'll tell you what he is looking at. He's looking at Zacchaeus. Not his house. Not his stuff. Not the remnants of the past. He's looking at Zacchaeus. Now listen. Watch the camel go through the eye of a needle. Because Zacchaeus, like the rich young ruler, is a rich man. And Jesus said, what? Look how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet, right before your very eyes, you are seeing Zacchaeus go through an eye of a needle. Why? Well, Jesus told us. Because impossible things for us are possible for God. This is a work of creation. This is a work that only God can do. And the response can only be one. The only response we can have to such a thing is great joy. <laughs> and look at what he does. I mean, it's crazy. He goes, half of all, everything I've earned all my life, I'm going to give it to the poor. Did Jesus say, hey, I want you to consider. This is something you lack, Zacchaeus. I would like for you to take your money and give it to the poor. Jesus never asks the question. He doesn't have to. Because... Zacchaeus' heart is overflowing. You see, it's kind of like Jessie up here with all the dimes in her hands, right? And she's going, I'm trading. I'm trading. And she just like does that. And they all fall to the ground. He doesn't even care because I'm going to pick up those, those two bills that are worth so much more. He can't help himself. He doesn't write Jesus a blank check. He is the blank check. And he's saying, Jesus, you write whatever you want in the memo line of my life. And what was the result? 
This is the result. This man was Jewish too, just like the rich young ruler. He was also under Roman occupation. And the very same thing is going to happen in his timeline as happened in the rich young ruler's timeline. The Romans are going to come in. They're going to destroy Israel. Everything that he was sure of, he shouldn't have been sure of, right? It's going to happen in 70 AD. But this man had already laid up his treasure in heaven. His wealth was found in the Lord, not in himself. And because of that, his legacy lives on for generations to come. As a matter of fact, he is blessing you today, right now at this moment. Because I'm telling this story and you're hearing it. And I wonder if in the last moments of his life, he thought of that one fateful day when he had lunch with Almighty God and how much different he was because of the work of creation God had done in him. You know why? Because Zacchaeus was in the land of sea. Now, how about you? It's obvious from both of these stories that both men are searching for something, and so are we. We search for something, but are we finding it? Are we, are we wanting what the rich young ruler had? Are we wanting more? Or are we wanting what Zacchaeus received, and that is change? Are you trying to manufacture what only God can create? You may have a desire to do something different, but to actually choose it is gonna take courage. And I have to be completely transparent with you. In my life, over time, I've seen both men in me. Not just one. But do we honestly think that Jesus is more interested in our money than he is in us as people? You know, in both cases, the money was given to the poor. It didn't go to Jesus' ministry or the disciples. It was to go to the poor. Jesus isn't interested in your money. And by the way, he's not interested in your resume. He's interested in your redemption. Now notice how the people reacted in each one of the situations. You notice how they go to bat for the rich young ruler? I mean, I can just hear that all over the church. Say, hey, that's a guy, that's a number one draft pick. We need to get that guy in the church. We need to get him involved because that guy is the best. He's like the ultimate. Man, we are so much suckers for rich young rulers, aren't we? But the guy nobody would have chosen, the guy nobody would have ever picked, that's the one that Jesus picked, Zacchaeus. Isn't it interesting? They only had judgment for him. They muttered and they grumbled. Isn't it interesting how sometimes the best decisions that we could ever make would make others or even us uncomfortable? How wrong we can be. Finally, let me ask you this question. Do we really believe that Jesus can change people? Do we really believe that people can become new creations? What the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Do we really believe that? Let me tell you something. It's never going to happen in the minimum. It's not on the other side of the minimum. It happens when we let Jesus take us to the land of sea. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. 
you can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.